We can remember it for you wholesale. By Philip K. Dick. Part one. He awoke and wanted Mars. The valleys, he thought. What would it be like to trudge among them? Great and greater yet, the dream grew as he became fully conscious. The dream and the yearning. He could almost feel the enveloping presence of the other world, which only government agents and high officials had seen. A clerk like himself? Not likely. Are you getting up or not? His wife Kirsten asked drowsily, with her usual hint of fierce crossness. If you are, push the hot coffee button on the darn stove. Okay, Douglas Quayle said, and made his way barefoot from the bedroom of their conapt to the kitchen. There, having dutifully pressed the hot coffee button, he seated himself at the kitchen table, brought out a yellow small tin of fine Dean Swift snuff. He inhaled briskly, and the bone ash mixture stung his nose, burned the roof of his mouth, but still he inhaled. It woke him up and allowed his dreams, his nocturnal desires and random wishes, to condense into a semblance of rationality. I will go, he said to himself. Before I die, I'll see Mars. It was, of course, impossible, and he knew this even as he dreamed. But the daylight, the mundane noise of his wife now brushing her hair before the bedroom mirror, everything conspired to remind him of what he was. A miserable little salaried employee, he said to himself with bitterness. Kirsten reminded him of this at least once a day, and he did not blame her. It was a wife's job to bring her husband down to earth. Down to earth, he thought, and laughed. The figure of speech in this was literally apt. What are you sniggering about? his wife asked as she swept into the kitchen, her long, busy pink robe wagging after her. A dream, I bet. You're always full of them. Yes, he said, and gazed out the kitchen window at the hover cars and traffic runnels and all the little energetic people hurrying to work. In a little while he would be among them, as always. I bet it had to do with some woman, Kirsten said witheringly. No, he said. A god. The god of war. He has wonderful craters with every kind of plant life growing deep down in them. Listen. Kirsten crouched down beside him and spoke earnestly, the harsh quality momentarily gone from her voice. The bottom of the ocean. Our ocean is much more, an infinity of times more beautiful. You know that. Everyone knows that. Rent an artificial gill outfit for both of us. Take a week off from work, and we can descend and live down there at one of those year-round aquatic resorts. And in addition... She broke off. You're not listening. You should be. 
Here is something a lot better than that compulsion, that obsession you have about Mars, and you don't even listen. Her voice rose piercingly. God in heaven, you're doomed, Doug. What's going to become of you? I'm going to work, he said, rising to his feet, his breakfast forgotten. That's what's going to become of me. She eyed him. You're getting worse, more fanatical every day. Where is it going to lead? To Mars, he said, and opened the door to the closet to get down a fresh shirt to wear to work. Having descended from the taxi, Douglas Quayle slowly walked across three densely populated foot runnels and to the modern, attractively inviting doorway. There he halted, impeding mid-morning traffic, and with caution read the shifting color neon sign. He had, in the past, scrutinized this sign before, but never had he come so close. This was very different. What he did now was something else. Something which, sooner or later, had to happen. Recal Incorporated Was this the answer? After all, an illusion, no matter how convincing, remained nothing more than an illusion at least objectively, but subjectively, quite the opposite entirely. And anyhow, he had an appointment within the next five minutes. Taking a deep breath of mildly smog-infested Chicago air, he walked through the dazzling polychromatic shimmer of the doorway and up to the receptionist's counter. The nicely articulated blonde at the counter, bare-bosomed and tidy, said pleasantly, Good morning, Mr. Quayle. Yes, he said. I'm here to see about a recal course, as I guess you know. Not recal, but recall, the receptionist corrected him. She picked up the receiver of the vidphone by her smooth elbow and said into it, Mr. Douglas Quayle is here, Mr. McLean. May he come inside now, or is it too soon? There's a woman what? the phone mumbled. Yes, Mr. Quayle, she said. You may go in. Mr. McLean is expecting you. As he started off uncertainly, she called after him, Room D, Mr. Quayle, to your right. After a frustrating but brief moment of being lost, he found the proper room. The door hung open, and inside, at a big, genuine walnut desk, sat a genial-looking man middle-aged, wearing the latest Martian frog-pelt gray suit. His attire alone would have told Quayle that he had come to the right person. "'Sit down, Douglas,' McLean said, waving his plump hand toward a chair which faced the desk. "'So you want to have gone to Mars. Very good.' Quayle seated himself, feeling tense. "'I'm not so sure this is worth the fee,' he said. It costs a lot, and as far as I can see, I really get nothing. Costs almost as much as going, he thought. You get tangible proof of your trip, McLean disagreed emphatically. All the proof you'll need. Here, I'll show you. He dug within a drawer of his impressive desk. Ticket stub. Reaching into a manila folder, he produced a small square of embossed cardboard. It proves you went and returned. Postcards, 
He laid out four franked picture 3D full-color postcards in a neatly arranged row on the desk for Quail to see. Film! Shots you took of local sites on Mars with a rented moving camera. To Quail he displayed those two. Plus the names of people you met, two hundred Poscred's worth of souvenirs, which will arrive from Mars within the following month, and passport, certificates listing the shots you received, and more. He glanced up keenly at Quail. You'll know you went all right, he said. You won't remember us, won't remember me, or ever having been here. It'll be a real trip in your mind. We guarantee that. A full two weeks of recall, every last piddling detail. Remember this, if at any time you doubt that you really took an extensive trip to Mars, you can return here and get a full refund. You see? But I didn't go, Quail said. I won't have gone no matter what proofs you provide me with. He took a deep, unsteady breath. And I never was a secret agent with Interplan. It seemed impossible to him that Recall Incorporated's extra-factual memory implant would do its job, despite what he had heard people say. Mr. Quayle, McLean said patiently, as you explained in your letter to us, you have no chance, no possibility in the slightest of ever actually getting to Mars. You can't afford it. And what is much more important, you could never qualify as an undercover agent for Interplan or anybody else. This is the only way you can achieve your <coughs> lifelong dream, am I not correct, sir? You can't be this. You can't actually do this, he chuckled. But you can have been and have done. We see to that, and our fee is reasonable. No hidden charges, he smiled encouragingly. Is an extra factual memory that convincing? Quail asked. More than the real thing, sir. Had you really gone to Mars as an Interplan agent, you would by now have forgotten a great deal. Our analysis of true MEM systems, authentic recollections of major events in a person's life, shows that a variety of details are very quickly lost to the person forever. Part of the package we offer you is such deep implantation of recall that nothing is forgotten. The packet which is fed to you while you're comatose is the creation of trained experts, men who have spent years on Mars. In every case, we verify details down to the last iota. And you've picked a rather easy extrafactual system, had you picked... Pluto, or wanted to be Emperor of the Inner Planet Alliance, we'd have much more difficulty, and the charges would be considerably greater. Reaching into his coat for his wallet, Quail said, Okay, it's been my lifelong ambition, and so I see I'll never really do it, so I guess I'll have to settle for this. Don't think of it that way, McLean said severely. 
You're not accepting second best, the actual memory, with all its vagueness, omissions, and ellipses, not to say distortions. That's second best. He accepted the money and pressed a button on his desk. All right, Mr. Quayle, he said, as the door of his office opened and two burly men swiftly entered. You're on your way to Mars as a secret agent. He rose, came over to shake Quayle's nervous, moist hand. Or rather, you have been on your way. This afternoon at 4.30 you will, um, arrive back here on Terra. A cab will leave you off at your Conapt. And as I say, you will never remember seeing me or coming here. You won't, in fact, even remember having heard of our existence. His mouth dry with nervousness, Quayle followed the two technicians from the office. What happened next depended on them. Will I actually believe I've been on Mars? He wondered. That I managed to fulfill my lifetime ambition? He had a strange lingering intuition that something would go wrong. But just what, he did not know. He would have to wait and find out. The intercom on McLean's desk, which connected him with the work area of the firm, buzzed, and a voice said, Mr. Quayle is under sedation now, sir. Do you want to supervise this one, or shall we go ahead? It's routine, McLean observed. You may go ahead, Lowe. I don't think you'll run into any trouble. Programming an artificial memory of a trip to another planet, with or without the added Philip of being a secret agent, showed up on the firm's work schedule with monotonous regularity. In one month, he calculated wryly, we must do twenty of these. Ersat's interplanetary travel has become our bread and butter. Whatever you say, Mr. McLean, Lowe's voice came, and thereupon the intercom shut off. Going to the vault section in the chamber behind his office, McLean searched about for a three-packet, trip to Mars, and a sixty-two packet, secret interplan spy. Finding the two packets, he returned with them to his desk, seated himself comfortably, poured out the contents, merchandise which would be planted in Quayle's conapt while the lab technicians busied themselves installing false memory. A one poscred sneaky Pete sidearm, McLean reflected. That's the largest item. Sets us back financially the most. Then a pellet-sized transmitter, which could be swallowed if the agent were caught. Code book that astonishingly resembled the real thing. The firm's models were highly accurate, based, whenever possible, on actual U.S. military issue. Odd bits which made no intrinsic sense, but which would be woven into the warp and woof of Quayle's imaginary trip, would coincide with his memory. Half an ancient silver fifty-cent piece, several quotations from John Donne's sermons written incorrectly, each on a separate piece of transparent tissue-thin paper, several match folders from bars on Mars, a stainless steel spoon engraved property of Dome, Mars National Kibbutzim, a wire-tapping coil which... The intercom buzzed. Mr. McLean, I'm sorry to bother you, but something rather... Ominous has come up. Maybe it would be better if you were in here after all. Quail is already under sedation. He reacted well to the narcodrine. He's completely unconscious and receptive, but... I'll be in, sensing trouble, McLean left his office. 
A moment later, he emerged in the work area. On a hygienic bed lay Douglas Quayle, breathing slowly and regularly, his eyes virtually shut. He seemed dimly, but only dimly, aware of the two technicians, and now McLean himself. There's no space to insert false memory patterns, McLean felt irritation. Merely drop out two work weeks. He's employed as a clerk at the West Coast Emigration Bureau, which is a government agency, so he undoubtedly has or had two weeks vacation within the last year. That ought to do it. Petty details annoyed him, and always would. Our problem, Lowe said sharply, is something quite different. He bent over the bed, said to Quayle, Tell Mr. McLean what you told us. To McLean, he said, Listen closely. The gray-green eyes of the man lying supine in the bed focused on McLean's face. The eyes, he observed uneasily, had become hard. They had a polished, inorganic quality, like semi-precious tumbled stones. He was not sure that he liked what he saw. The brilliance was too cold. What do you want now? Quayle said harshly. You've broken my cover. Get out of here before I take you all apart. He studied McLean. Especially you, he continued. You're in charge of this counter-operation. Lowe said, How long were you on Mars? One month, Quayle said gratingly. And your purpose there? Lowe demanded. The meager lips twisted. Quayle eyed him and did not speak. At last, drawling the words out so that they dripped with hostility, he said, Agent for Interplan, as I already told you. Don't you record everything that's said? Play your vid-odd tape back for your boss and leave me alone. He shut his eyes then. The hard brilliance ceased. McLean felt instantly a rushing splurge of relief. Lowe said quietly, this is a tough man, Mr. McLean. He won't be, McLean said, after we arrange for him to lose his memory chain again. He'll be as meek as before. To Quayle, he said, So this is why you wanted to go to Mars so terribly bad. Without opening his eyes, Quayle said, I never wanted to go to Mars. I was assigned it. They handed it to me. And there I was, stuck. Oh, yeah, I admit I was curious about it. Who wouldn't be? Again, he opened his eyes and surveyed the three of them, McLean in particular. Quite a truth drug you've got here. It brought up things I had absolutely no memory of, he pondered. I wonder about Kirsten, he said, half to himself. Could she be in on it? An interplan contact keeping an eye on me to be certain I didn't regain my memory. No wonder she's been so derisive about my wanting to go there. Faintly, he smiled. The smile, one of understanding, disappeared almost at once. McLean said, Please believe me, Mr. Quayle. We stumbled onto this entirely by accident. In the work we do... I believe you, Quayle said. He seemed tired now. The drug was continuing to pull him under deeper and deeper. Where did I say I'd been? He murmured. Mars? Hard to remember. 
I know I'd like to see it. So would everybody else. But me... His voice trailed off. Just a clerk. A nothing clerk. Straightening up, Lowe said to his superior, he wants a false memory implanted that corresponds to a trip he actually took, and a false reason which is the real reason. He's telling the truth. He's a long way down in the narcodrine. The trip is very vivid in his mind, at least under sedation, but apparently he doesn't recall it otherwise. Someone, probably at a government military sciences lab, erased his conscious memories. All he knew was that going to Mars meant something special to him, and so did being a secret agent. They couldn't erase that. It's not a memory, but a desire, undoubtedly the same one that motivated him to volunteer for the assignment in the first place. The other technician, Keeler, said to McLean, What do we do? Graft a false memory pattern over the real memory? There's no telling what the results would be. He might remember some of the genuine trip, and the confusion might bring on a psychotic interlude. He'd have to hold two opposite premises in his mind simultaneously, that he went to Mars and that he didn't, that he's a genuine agent for Interplan and that he's not, that it's spurious. I think we ought to revive him without any false memory implantation and send him out of here. This is hot. Agreed. McLean said. A thought came to him. Can you predict what he'll remember when he comes out of sedation? Impossible to tell, Lowe said. He probably will have some dim, diffused memory of his actual trip now, and he'd probably be engraved out as to its validity. He'd probably decide our programming slipped a gear tooth, and he'd remember coming here. That wouldn't be erased, unless you want it erased. The less we mess with this man, McLean said, the better I like it. This is nothing for us to fool around with. We've been foolish enough to, or unlucky enough to, uncover a genuine Interplan spy who has a cover so perfect that up to now even he didn't know what he was, or rather is. The sooner they wash their hands of the man calling himself Douglas Quayle, the better. Are you going to plant packets three and sixty-two in his conapt? Lowe said. No, McLean said. And we're going to return half his fee. Half? Why half? McLean said lamely. It seems to be a good compromise. As the cab carried him back to his conapt at the residential end of Chicago, Douglas Quayle said to himself, It's sure good to be back on Terra. Already the month-long period on Mars had begun to waver in his memory. He had only an image of profound gaping craters, an ever-present ancient erosion of hills, of vitality, of motion itself. A world of dust where little happened, where a good part of the day was spent checking and rechecking one's portable oxygen source. And then the life forms, the unassuming and modest gray-brown cacti and maw worms, as a matter of fact, he had brought back several moribund examples of Martian fauna. He had smuggled them through customs. After all, they posed no menace. They couldn't survive in Earth's heavy atmosphere. Reaching into his coat pocket, he rummaged for the container of Martian maw worms and found an envelope instead. Lifting it out, he discovered to his perplexity that it contained 570 postcreds in cred bills of low denomination. Where'd I get this? 
he asked himself. Didn't I spend every credit I had on my trip? With the money came a slip of paper marked, One Half Fee Returned, by McLean, and then the date. Today's date. Recall, he said aloud. Recall what, sir or madam? The robot driver of the cab inquired respectfully. Do you have a phone book? Quail demanded. Certainly, sir or madam. A slot opened. From it slid a microtape phone book for Cook County. It's spelled oddly, Quail said as he leafed through the pages of the yellow section. He felt fear then, abiding fear. Here it is, he said. Take me there to Recall Incorporated. I've changed my mind. I don't want to go home. Yes, sir or madam, as the case may be, the driver said. A moment later the cab was zipping back in the opposite direction. May I make use of your phone? he asked. Be my guest, the robot driver said, and presented a shiny new Emperor 3D color phone to him. He dialed his own Conapt, and after a pause found himself confronted by a miniature but chillingly realistic image of Kirsten on the small screen. I've been to Mars, he said to her. You're drunk, her lips writhed scornfully, or worse. Scott's truth. When, she demanded. I don't know, he felt confused. A simulated trip, I think, by means of one of those artificial or extra-factual or whatever it is memory places. It didn't take, Kirsten said witheringly. You are drunk, and broke the connection at her end. He hung up then, feeling his face flush. Always the same tone, he said hotly to himself. Always the retort, as if she knows everything and I know nothing. What a marriage key riced, he thought dismally. A moment later the cab stopped at the curb before a modern, very attractive little pink building over which a shifting polychromatic neon sign read, Recall Incorporated. The receptionist, chic and bare from the waist up, started in surprise, then gained masterful control of herself. Oh, hello, Mr. Quayle, she said nervously. Uh, how are you? Did you forget something? The rest of my fee back, he said. More composed now, the receptionist said, Fee? I think you are mistaken, Mr. Quayle. You were here discussing the feasibility of an extra-factual trip for you, but, she shrugged her smooth, pale shoulders, as I understand it, no trip was taken. Quayle said, I remember everything, miss. My letter to Recall Incorporated, which started this whole business off. I remember my arrival here, my visit with Mr. McLean. Then the two lab technicians taking me in tow and administering a drug to put me out. No wonder the firm had returned half his fee. The false memory of his trip to Mars hadn't taken, at least not entirely, not as he had been assured. Mr. Quayle, the girl said, Although you are a minor clerk, you are a good-looking man, and it spoils your features to become angry. If it would make you feel any better, 
I might <clears throat> let you take me out. He felt furious then. I remember you, he said savagely. For instance, the fact that your breasts are sprayed blue, that stuck in my mind. And I remember Mr. McLean's promise that if I remembered my visit to Recall Incorporated, I'd receive my money back in full. Where is Mr. McLean? After a delay, probably as long as they could manage, he found himself once more seated facing the imposing walnut desk, exactly as he had been an hour or so earlier in the day. "'Some technique you have,' Quayle said sardonically. His disappointment and resentment was enormous by now. "'My so-called memory of a trip to Mars as an undercover agent for Interplan is hazy and vague and shot full of contradictions, and I clearly remember my dealings here with you people. I ought to take this to the Better Business Bureau.' He was burning angry at this point. His sense of being cheated had overwhelmed him, had destroyed his customary aversion to participating in a public squabble. Looking morose, as well as cautious, McLean said, We capitulate, Quayle. We'll refund the balance of your fee. I fully concede the fact that we did absolutely nothing for you. His tone was resigned. Quayle said accusingly, you didn't even provide me with the various artifacts that you claimed would prove to me that I had been on Mars. All that song and dance you went into, it hasn't materialized into a damn thing. Not even a ticket stub, nor postcards, nor passport, nor proof of immunization shots, nor... Listen, Quail, McLean said. Suppose I told you... He broke off. Let it go. He pressed a button on his intercom. Surely will you disperse five hundred and seventy more creds in the form of a cashier's check made out to Douglas Quayle. Thank you. He released the button, then glared at Quayle. Presently the check appeared. The receptionist placed it before McLean and once more vanished out of sight, leaving the two men alone, still facing each other across the surface of the massive walnut desk. Let me give you a word of advice, McLean said as he signed the check and passed it over. Don't discuss your uh, <clears throat> recent trip to Mars with anyone. What trip? Well, that's the thing, doggedly McLean said. The trip you partially remember. Act as if you don't remember. Pretend it never took place. Don't ask me why. Just take my advice. It'll be better for all of us. He had begun to perspire, freely. Now, Mr. Quayle, I have other business, other clients to see. He rose, showed Quayle to the door. Quayle said as he opened the door, A firm that turns out such bad work shouldn't have any clients at all. He shut the door behind him.